Kia ora and welcome to the Kiwi Advisor Network podcast. I'm the host, Warwick Slow, and today's guest is David Windler from the Mortgage Supply Company. David's built up one of the, I'd say one of the biggest brands in the industry, uh, and it's really interesting hearing about his background in sports, transitioning into mortgages, and some of the similarities that uh, are between the two. And I think for anyone who's looking to grow a business and bring in and retain staff, there are so many good takeaways from this podcast. David's very generous with his time and his knowledge. I think you'll enjoy it. Remember, this counts towards your CPD hours, so make sure you log them in. And um, if you get value from this, please share it with somebody else who might enjoy it too. It really goes a long way. So uh, enjoy this. And remember, you can always listen to this through Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. Chuck it on when you're doing the dishes, mowing the lawns. It can be a great way to pass time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. David, thank you so much for joining us here today. <laughs> Pleasure, mate. It's been, Pleasure. A, been a long time coming, but uh, you know your name, both David Windler and also the Mortgage Supply Company, both businesses that are very well respected. You know, since I've been in the industry for a few years, been around a while. Always hear those names. So um, yeah, I'd be really keen to find out. You know, how did you get it to that point where it's? I'm not going to say household name, but um, you know, in this industry, certainly it is. Oh, it's, it's it's been a long journey. You know, I think it's what 15, 16 years now. Um, and it's just something that we've done bit by bit. I don't think, you know, I've overly been in a in a race to get where we've got to. It's just we've been lucky over the years to just continually find good people, you know, who fit the values of the company. And, you know, they've tended to stay around a bit. And, and that's important. Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I was never really a, a, a sort of a finance guy or a... Um, a mortgage guy, you know, I didn't know what a mortgage broker did when I left school, you know, it was a mm. long time ago. Um, and the, the, a big part of my career was was in sport and coaching. Um, right. You know, I spent uh, in my sort of mid, mid-20s, I spent about 10 years at Auckland Cricket um, on their coaching staff. And, you know, that was a really good background for me because I think so much of what we do as advisors is, is around coaching and educating and leading our clients to understand what they're doing mm. um, and, and that really stood me in good stead but you know so did that for a while um, ran Auckland Badminton for a couple of years <laughs> um, ended up um, as director of sport at Sacred Heart College um, really enjoyed my time there that was a really cool place to be um, but sort of looked at it and going actually I'm not sure if I want to be earning 60k a year for the rest of my life you know I have to do something different and was really well supported because my wife at the time um ran a very successful business um, and I could contemplate a career change. Um, and um, it was when uh, the BNZ decided that they didn't want to deal with brokers anymore, quite <laughs> ironically, um, and they started recruiting for mobiles. Um, and uh, wife saw the ad, gone, you know, you, you can do that. I'm going, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about mortgages or lending, but I knew about people and, you know, I felt I could have some transferable skills engaging with people and gave it a crack. Um, and, you know, still remember now that the, the, the recruitment guy, when I rang, has gone, what do you do? And I told him what I did and he's like, no, nah, it's not for you. Well, no, it is for me. I, I think I can do this. And I, I literally you know, kept him on the phone for about three quarters of an hour um, just to get the opportunity to sit in front of him and some, you know, try and get an interview. Um, that was a test, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a wee test. Yeah, yeah, push, yeah push them yeah. away and see if they come well, back. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you, you, 
we, we, we call ourselves advisors or brokers or whatever, but uh, to be frank, we're actually salespeople. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and the a big thing, element of it. Yeah, it like. is. And, and, and you know, it's advice selling. You know, but the first thing, the person you've got to sell first is yourself. Um, so managed to, you know, jump through all the hurdles and get the job and a couple of weeks later and a bit of training and away wow. you go. But it was a lot easier back then, right? So, you know, I, I knew nothing. So I was, you know, I was lucky that there was a couple of other mobiles at the branch and I'd go to people's houses, six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, weekends, all the stuff that you don't do now once, you've, once you're established and literally would have the application form. I knew what I needed from them, would have a chat around what they wanted to do and then I would leave that appointment, get back to the branch and go, what do I do with this stuff now, <laughs> you know, um, and... And, and had some really good support from good people just to you know, to teach me the basics. A um, couple of years in, and corporate environments are corporate environments, and I got a bit tired of it. It certainly was a time where, you know, hitting your sales targets was the conversation. Um, and had an opportunity to get into broking. Another one of the mobiles had, had left and, and started something up and asked me to come and work for him um, and sort of... I said, I don't want to work for you, but I'll work with you. And that's where it all, all sort of started. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing how just like all those sliding doors moments, like yeah. your wife, you know, seeing the advert and then yeah. you know, staying on the phone, it feels like not that the stars were aligned or anything, but, you know, yeah. do you feel like it was meant to be to a I, degree? Yeah. Look, a little bit. I, I think it was just, yeah, opportunity comes around. And, and if you don't try and explore it and take it, then you don't know what where that's going to lead you. And I think... I look back on that and it, it only really happened because I was supported. You know, I think uh, you've got to have good people around you, whether it's in your personal or your professional life, because um, you can't do it all on your own. And, and particularly, you know, if I think about what we do these days, um, it's a lot tougher. Um, you know, the compliance side of it, we're all you know, so aware around what, what that does and how that impacts on our work. And if you don't have people around you that, that support you and take care of things that you're not good at, um, it becomes even a tougher road, you know. I think so. If I think and reflect about where the business is at today, um, not a lot of it's got anything to do with me at all. Um, it's, it's very much the, the wider team and what they contribute and how they make things work. And you know, I wouldn't have wouldn't have a clue how to log on to a CRM system, right? <laughs> um, but but I, I've got other people who do. And, yeah. I, and, and I need those other people because that's stuff that I'm really ordinary at. I'm sure you'd be good at it. It sounds like you can pick things up. If I, I don't you want know to. what my password is. <laughs> I really don't. Um, so, it, you know, and it's just it's just been a it's just been a little kind of journey, and, and and you just go one step in front of the other, and see where it takes you. Now, I think if people tuning in are contemplating, you know, where they're going to go and how they're going to get there. Um, you can't sometimes overly map it all out, but you're not going to go anywhere unless you take that first first step and, and, and be courageous in doing that. You can apply that to so many different things. And yeah. even there must be so many similarities <clears throat> that you look at from your time, you know, coaching sport and then, you know, running a business. So many similarities. Yeah. You know, one, one part is when you've got a sports team, you know, people are there because they want to be, you know, especially if it's outside of school. It's because they love the game. Yeah. They want to be involved. For... How do you get that same attitude and commitment for people who, you know, a lot of people it is, they're really passionate about it, but some people it is just a job in your business. How do you 
get the best out of them? Well, you know, I think for the, I can only really sort of reflect on the people that are in in our team. Is I think it is a passion for them, and I think that's part of the alignment that that we as a company have with the people in it. That is that they're incredibly passionate about um, doing the right thing by people. You know, I think you know we look at what compliance and regulation has done. Um, in our industry, and many people look at it as a negative, right? That it gets in the way. Um, but to be frank, I look at the the quality and, and standards in our in our industry today compared to where it was at ten years ago, and it's and I, I'm very grateful that we've gone through what we've gone through because you know you wind the clock back and it was you know diary notes would be written on the back of a napkin kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Literally, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I was I was around um, pre GFC and. You know, there weren't any credit rules. You know, you you know, you could. We would send our applications in by fax. You know, so. Um, What's that? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the last page of the application would be sort of rolling on into the fax machine, and the first page of the approval would be rolling back out. You know, just about the same time. It was it was very easy, um, and it gave you know less scrupulous people the opportunity to, do, to not do the right things. Um, in this day and age, that's just definitely not the case. But I look at all of that and just go, yeah, it's just made us a, a far more robust quality industry and it is what we should be. Um, and, I, and I think that if you're doing it right now and it's just the job, then find another job. You don't get to do this unless you've got some um, passion for it as a profession, um, as an industry. Um, and... You know, I'm not a huge fan of. I'm a. I'll, I'll turn it on its head. I'm a big fan of people working together. You know, I think that if you if you, we're all going to have days where we don't really feel like doing what we want to do, but it becomes a heck of a lot easier if you rock up to a place and there's other people in there who are buzzing and they're on fire and they've just done a deal and they've just got a great approval or they've just turned a decline into an approval, and it's not so easy if you're doing that on your own. Um, and that's where, you know, network groups, dealer groups, small business clusters work really, really well in our industry. I'm a big fan of that. Feed off each other. Oh, hugely. Um, mm. Because, you know, what we do is quite pressurised. Um, it can be extremely stressful, particularly if your workload's high and the deadlines are looming. You know, everything we do is, is generally time-stressed. You know, you've got finance dates, settlement dates, client expectation, um, and it's pretty easy to drop a ball, right? Um, and if you've got a lot of um, activity going on at any one time, if you're a high-volume rider, um, you're going to have some days where you're, you're going to be pretty strung out. Then um, again, you know, I go back to that support piece, you know, having people around you that actually understand. Um, it's very hard to go home sometimes and try and explain how your day's been. Because <laughs> uh, if you actually went through it in, in, in detail, you'd be, you know, You'd be looking for a couch to lie down on and get some therapy. You know? <laughs> so, um, but I think the longer you you do it, the the less stressful it becomes. You're just busy, right? You get used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. So, like eating olives, yeah. like growing up oh, yeah. and standard taste. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. I, I had olives <laughs> and sprouts. Um, so, you know, I, I think it is something that you've got to um, have a passion about if you're going to be really good at it, and if you want to, you know, be average at it, then it's just a job. Great, I love that. Mm. And how do you, I mean, growing a team is something I know a lot of businesses struggle with. Mm. How do you create a culture where people don't want to leave? 
Well, I think you've got to start by having your own values. Um, I think, you know, you've got to have a set of standards that you try and operate by, um, know what they are, and, and, and then once you know what they are, then never compromise them. So as you look to bring people in, you know, most of the conversations I will have will, will not be about whether they know how to lend or not. It's, it's really trying to understand what sort of person they are and, and whether they're going to fit and the rest of that sort of stuff, you know, can be taught. Um, we know obviously that, that that teaching doesn't come from having your level five qualification. Right. Um, what are you talking about? I don't, <laughs> I don't teach you shit, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's that practicality of, um, of, of what we do. You know, the, the, having good credit skills really, really important. But that's, that's, that's something that can be taught. And, and again, I think one of the things about, you know, bringing people into the team um, that we've done successfully um, over time is, is they didn't need to have industry background. Um, so they don't need to have industry background? No. Sometimes a preference that, that they don't. Um, because they can be taught that that stuff, um, but you, you 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 can't really teach somebody to be good, have some values, um, treat other people the right way, some basic skill sets there that um, are just are not negotiable for them. Yeah, and yeah, all that good mm -hmm. stuff, you know. And and then once they're in, you just treat them right, right. So you know, most most of my staff now have been with me you know, 5, 10, 15 years um, and we just work well together and just mutual respect and get the job done. Um, but I'm very blessed that I've got those people around me, for sure, really blessed. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been Do good. you have any work sports teams? Any work sports teams? Play so of, social cricket? Play a bit of bowls, mate, actually. Bit of what, sorry? Bit of bowls. <laughs> Bogs, bowls, bowls, lawn bowls. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm like most fifty-somethings you now. The body sort of breaks down a little bit, so you got to you got to participate in something to, to keep you sane. So, now we we, uh, we play a bit of business house I, bowls in mid midweek. Oh, I love that, and uh, that's probably what occupies my time at the weekends these days too. Um, yeah, it's 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 quite fashionable for my generation too. To go for bowls days. It's in, it's, and it's, it's unfortunately, it's, it's probably the most alcoholic sport I've ever come across in my whole life. <laughs> it's a big yeah, suck, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've played a you know, bit of footy, a bit of cricket, and at least in those sports, you don't have a beer until after the game. With bowls, it's before, during, and after. We went to this uh, bowls day at Howick, mm. and the guy behind the bar, I don't know who he was, but I don't think it ever worked or poured a pint before or worked a till, and all of a sudden, he had about 30. You know, we would have put late a bit 20, of, early 30s. A bit of pressure on him. Mate. <laughs> he was buckling. Yeah. Well, most of the time, most clubs and members just pop behind the bar and help themselves, right? So, yeah. I was. I had to show the guy how to work the FPOS machine and pour a pint. Brilliant. Yeah. But, but, hey, it's, it's, I was like, this is my yeah. kind of sport. <laughs> it's great. I love it. And, it, and it's, it's, I mean, I think, you know, we all need something outside of work that unwinds and relaxes us. And that's, that's when I've always had something, um, whether it was golf, whether it was footy when I played it, or whether it was cricket. These days, it just happens to be a bit of both. So. Good relaxation. Yeah, you've got to have something. Absolutely. And does it, so? Does the whole team go along, or is it just like a few that do? Just it? Few. Yeah, okay. just a few. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, it's about fifty meter walk from the office, so that's that's pretty useful. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just an excuse for a beer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think you know you've got to de-stress. You know, I talked a little earlier that this is a really pressurised job, and 
I think that, you know, for people, you know, tuning into this, it's like, it's okay. You know, I think, you know, even after 15 years, I can have a day where I'll get home and I just collapse, you know, because the, this, this stuff going on, you've, you're fighting fires and um, trying to hit deadlines and trying to do the right thing for your clients and um, it, that doesn't go away. Um, and the only thing that you can sort of do to, you know, eliminate that or lessen that is just have some really good processes, you know, and this is where, you know, these days good CRM systems really important, using them properly. Um, but I think, again, go back to the one of the main points, I think, is just having good people around you. You know, if the best thing I did um, early on in the piece was get myself a, you know, a support person. Um, second best thing I did was go and get another one. Um, and these days I have four, um, five, if you include, you know, someone who looks after all my re refixes. Um, and, and because we, we've got a big client base and we write a fair bit of volume, it's, that's what's needed to to make things tick along. And how soon did you get that support person after you first started? Um, about 12 months in. But but started slow. You know, this is where you, you don't have to sort of decide all of a sudden that you're going to launch into, you know, trying to find an experienced 40-hour-a-week um, line rider. You know, we actually... Early, it was, and it was very quite early in the piece, you know, and it was me and another guy and, and being kind of typical blokes, you know, you'd get to Friday and the office was a mess, right? You know, I'm not the tidiest person on the planet. Um, so we just felt that we sort of needed almost like a, an old-fashioned girl Friday, you know, someone who would come along and just tidy up around. Whip into uh, shape. Yeah, just tidy up behind us a little bit, you know, do some filing. Um, so we reached out to the local schools. Um, and the office manager of one of the schools, her daughter was in seventh form at, at the school and was just around the corner and, and literally, you know, Kirsty would come, you know, straight after school, um, get changed at school, come and work for us for an hour or so every day and just started there. Wow. And, um, you know, 16 late years later, she still works for me. That's incredible. But now she's an absolute superstar loan writer. So that's the journey that you take a person on, you, you know, you... Starting at the start, give them an opportunity, look after them, teach them, grow them, and and, and be adaptable to to grow the role. Um, same with um, oh, Crystal, um, fifteen years with me now. You know, looks after all the, all our CRM stuff, all our data stuff. Is just a superstar at that. And we got her from you know the uh, like a full work experience program, so she would have time during the day at school where she would go out on work experience, walk from school to the office and hasn't left since. So you can have these methods and ways of, you know, bringing someone into your business to, to fill a need um, very cost effectively um, and then just grow from there. Now I have obviously reached into banks and Found a couple of loan writers who had great credit <laughs> skills and, and, and been very fortunate to, to bring those people into the business too. But you don't have to have someone that you plug and play. You have to also think, well, you know, if I get the right person with the right values to come into the business, can I grow and develop them into somebody and someone that I want, you know, to work close with? And, and you can find those people, you know, just give people an opportunity, I think, you know, can go a long way. That's so valuable for them too. Yeah, it's just, you, know, yeah. you grow together. From every stage of their life. Yeah. How valuable is that having a job at high school? You know, got, got no overheads. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and it's just about giving someone the opportunity and, 
you teach them how to work, you know. Um, and then that's that's certainly been something that's that's worked well for me. That's so good. Mm. Um, you still doing that? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're <laughs> I mean, I think these days, you know, you, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm through my growth phase. Okay. You know, so my, my growth now will be, you know, in, in developing the quality of the, the advisors in the business and getting them to a point when they, they need to go and get support people. Um, my team's pretty stable and, and I, I, I don't have any more growth there. The growth now is going to be in the advisor team getting them to a point where they're looking at their volume and workload and go, okay, I need a support person. And then my role is to help them find that those people at that time um, and, and, and sort of go on their journey. So I'm still writing. I still write a fair bit of volume, but you know, a fair part of my day now is just taken with, with running the business and engaging with the team around me and supporting them. I remember hearing that in this industry you have a, a balance between advisors who are great at giving advice and you have, Advisors who are probably more on that business side of things. Yeah, yeah. You can't have both, but like, do you say you swing more to one side? Oh, look, I've probably you know got a foot in both camps still. Um, I certainly, um, I still love the, the advice side of it, the broking. I, I love getting deals done, and you know that's yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. But you know, I, I'm I have I have I interview them, I do loan structure, and I try and do as little as possible in between. Um, because and, and I can only do that because of the quality of the relationship managers that I've got in the team. Um, obviously, clients can come to me along the way if they need help, advice, support, or whatever. I'm always going to be there. But um, if I don't run it that way, then I won't have time to run the business. And that's we've got twenty odd advisors in the business. That that is important. You know, those people need your help and support along the way. Um, so I try and make sure I don't spread myself too thin. But some days I don't quite get that right. Um, but also these days I'm not trying to work 50 hours a week either. You know, I, I sort of, I get to about four o'clock and I'm done. Great. Well, when did, when did you get to that point? Because I think there'd be a lot of us still doing weekends and... Um, probably a couple of years ago. Um, I, I just sort of, and it's, it's, and it's hard because sometimes, you know, people, you, you, when you're leading the business, you don't want to be the first one out the door, right? You know, I sort of had this attitude that, in my business, um, no one should be working harder than I do. Um, but I don't think that's a recipe for success, right? Um, that's how you start to, to really, um, you know, you can tip yourself over the edge if you keep on doing that. Um, and I think it's been it's been a gradual journey through to just being a lot more controlled with um, with the hours and to be really honest it probably sounds a bit daft I really love playing my bowls right <laughs> so I get to about four o'clock and I'm, I'm I'm gagging to get down the club and have a roll up and a glass of wine so I do um, and I get to the weekend and I go and play some bowls so I think if you don't have something else outside of work that you really have a passion for then this is the sort of job that can become all consuming um, and and I think you really you know you've got to shape your client's expectations from the get go so you know, I go back to when I was a mobile, you know, 17 years ago, and I would be, you know, a lead inquiry came in. It's like, when would you like me to come and see you? And well, straight away, you've set a customer expectation that you're going to pop around to their house at 8 o'clock at night after that, had dinner and put the kids away. And these days when an inquiry comes in, um, most of the time it comes in by email, and it's like, um, when would you like to catch up by Zoom? I don't... 
that's the scripting that I offer. And, and I would say that, you know, 99% of my appointments are done sitting at my desk and, and done by Zoom and, and people are okay with that. Um, and I think, you, you know, it's not easy to get to that point where you've got that confidence to lay out this is what I do and how I do it and, how, and expect clients to fit in with that. But the sooner you can get to that point, the better because that's how you manage your time. Uh, so much more efficient. Oh, yeah. hugely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and that, that's what allows me to do what I need to do. Um, if I don't control that, then I'm, I'm back to working 50, 60 hours a week and I, I don't want to go there anymore. Um, do you reckon that's the trick? Is that, you know, you said a couple of years ago that probably lines up with COVID. Yeah. You know, is that where the extra... One of the best things that happened. <laughs> it really is. I mean, because all of a sudden it just became normal for you to meet by Zoom because you couldn't meet face to face. And I thought, this is great. This is, <laughs> this is really cool. And so I just carried on. Um, so I, I think, you know, in the last, if I think about the last month, I think I've just had one face to face meeting with a client through that period. I feel special. <laughs> I even drove here to see you, mate. There you like, go. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. yeah, that doesn't happen very often. But yeah, you can control the narrative, you know. And I think that, um, I mean, COVID's been, was an interesting time, right? Because I think one of the things, is. yeah, I mean, obviously for most advisors, it was, you know, record record year. I think, I think the, the, the danger with that is that people are comparing, you know, year on year financial performance. Well, I think you've got to remove two years out of your out of your head and what i'm doing right now in terms of looking at what i do is i'm comparing my numbers with two years ago two years back two and a half years back um covid was just such an anomaly and if you if you look at your thing oh gosh yeah my volumes have dropped well they, they haven't you've just got to remove that anomaly and go actually you know i'm going to write how do you measure success when you have a nom- <clears throat> have a nom- I don't know, my brains Anomalies. Well, it's Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think you got people. People have got to measure success in their own way. You know, I think I think about conversations that I have with um, people in, in the team. You know, it's it's not for me to put benchmarks of success onto them. They've got to look at it and go, well, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I need to get out of it. This is where my work life balance needs to sit. Um, you know. I, I, Remember one one you know, advisor in the team is has we were talking around, okay, we've done this much this year, what are we going to do next year? And the straight answer coming back was I just want to do the same. Now for most people that's that's not progression, right? You want to improve year on year, you want to keep on getting better. But she just had an incredibly good year. And repeating the dose it, for her was all about, well, she needs to spend time with kids. You know that there are things in my life that I need to put, commit time to, and if I if I look to drive better or stronger business performances, that's probably going to put pressure on that. And so everyone's different, and I think if you you know if you go about measuring success based on other people's parameters, then you're not you're not looking at it in the right way. And I think if you're looking at one of the beauties of our industry, and I think it's why it's attractive for many people, it is just so flexible. So it doesn't, you know, you can ebb and flow with what's going on, right? So I encourage my guys to take a look at, okay, what are your minimums? You know, what is it that you need to do to put food on the table, right? Well, that's your not negotiable because I think, you know, 
we all have to contribute to our household, whether you're on your own or part of a family, you've got to do your bit, right? So that becomes your not negotiable. And then it's all about measuring, okay, how much more over and above that um, okay. do, do you need to do? Because if you if you start from where you're not negotiable is then it loan volumes then don't seem so daunting. You figure out actually I only need to do two mil a month. Or I only need to do three mil a month. Well and once you start going beyond that, you're on rock star income. And we're incredibly well paid for what we do. I don't think we always appreciate that either. It removes that pressure as well. I think people can see through any type of desperate advisor oh. or any type of sales or you know service type role. You can you can tell straight away that absolutely if you have the comfort knowing like well actually I need to do this, yeah. you'll find that the results will probably oh, work yeah. in your favour anyway. Yeah, look, and I I've always sort of tried to find different benchmarks, and I know, um, I mean, I, I I love measurement by volume, right? So I remember when I was a mobile. At the BNZ, you know, once a month they'd, they'd send out a spreadsheet with every everybody's numbers, and they had a the, the, the big list of all the mobiles, and they had the rookie list. You know, you were a rookie for the first couple of years when you're at a, a mobile. So there was a separate leaderboard, if you like. Well, I love being on top of that, right? The rookie board. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> and then we'd meet once a week and as a as a sales team and go around. You know, what was what come into the pipeline for that week, and um, the prize was a bottle of wine. That was it, just a bottle of wine. It wasn't always a very expensive bottle of wine, but I really wanted that bottle of wine. So my motivations um, at the start and then for, for quite some time, um, generally speaking, revolved around winning. Um, I'm incredibly competitive. I, I, you know, when I play sport, I like, I like to win, right? Not at all costs, but... Can't spell win without win. Very good. That was quite quick for a Friday. Um, <laughs> yeah, the brain's cooking. Yeah. Back. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think for me, any time someone created an environment which was competitive, and, then I, and I knew what the rules of the game were, well, I wanted to try and win the game, right? So that was, that was how I got motivated. These days, not so much. These days I'm more motivated by having a really good work-life balance and more motivated by... Uh, seeing or understanding that my team around me are happy and doing their thing, and and, and I can see them being successful. Um, so yeah, it's not that I've lost my edge as such, but I think the goalposts have shifted. Right, I don't need to, you know, some of the recognitions that are going around, you know, for advisor awards and things like that are all measured that say on volume. Right, I'm not too fussed about entering, um, because it, I, I don't need that. Um, I've got more proven it. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think it, I, I rock up and go to work because I want to, um, you know. And I think that I, I just enjoy interacting with with the rest of the team. I could never work from home on my own. I would just drive me nuts. Um, that was the hardest thing in in lockdown was sort of being at home, but. The good thing, and again with with Zoom, is we connected as a business just about every day in some way, and didn't always have to be serious either. So we, you know, we would get up on and do some some cool stuff. We found um, some fun games as well. Yeah, and, and and it was also you know connecting with you know my, my friend network and who mainly were the guys from the bowls club. So you know quiz quiz nights and racing days and bingo. I'm a very good bingo caller. Oh yeah. We need to do more industry, <laughs> whole, like nights as a whole, where advisors get together and it's less about 
Absolutely. Talking shop and more about just having well, fun. Well, you know, you don't have to meet up just to get CPD points, right? No. Um, there's other things you can get up yeah. to and enjoy each other's company and, and, and as an industry there's not too many vehicles for that really, you know. Um, and, you know, the, 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 I don't know, mate. You could spend half your time trying to satisfy everyone's requirement for assessment and regulation and compliance, CBD, right? And it gets in the way of dealing with people sometimes. And I find that a bit frustrating. Okay. Um, that, you know, constantly we're in an environment and it's not just about us as an industry, it's probably life in general maybe and that we're, we're always catering to the lowest common denominator, right? That we've got measures and put in place to keep people safe because they're stupid. And I, and I don't get that. I'm 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 I'm, mm. just, I'm watching a bit of Jeremy Clarkson at the moment. Oh, yeah. I'm watching this, that, that that farm one he's doing on the oh, Netflix. Oh, that's so quite good. It is real good, but I'm sort of starting to sound like him a bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. No. Yeah, because no, <laughs> no, I think yeah, that's that's life in general, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's just and I find I find that frustrating from time yeah. to time. But and, and if I bring it back to what we do in our industry, well, you kind of got to do it. You just got to do what you got to do. Um, and I think it's just about finding ways um, of doing it that actually you don't object to because actually it is adding value to your business. You know, you look at what is put on us from a compliance perspective. Well, if you actually look at it and bring it into your business in a positive way, you can actually use it to add some value to your client relationships. So um, that's just the biggest challenge that you have is to make sure it doesn't get in the way of client relationships, that it's an enhancement, not an obstruction. Totally agree. It's the, it, the absolute core of it. It's good customer outcomes. Yep. The problem is that because it's like the legislation is not black and white, it's left up to whoever's interpreting it, yep. whoever's, you know, giving you your compliance advice. That's who you're at mercy to. Yeah. So I think as long as you're going for good customer outcomes and you're evidencing it, I, I can't see you going too far. Yeah, and I've, I've probably over time got my head around it. You know, yeah. I would have been an early objector, right? I don't need to do that been doing it for 10 years i could do it like, you know that's it you're already doing yeah, it yeah <laughs> but all you gotta do now is evidence it and prove it and if you and it becomes a habit right i think i think that's the biggest challenge for for us that have been doing things for a while and something comes in that is new it's just a change of habit and i think that you know after a while then you know the you, get change, you get used to it yep. and, you, and you're cracking on and you go well, what was i ever worried about so that's yeah, good love that hmm. Coming back to even what you said earlier about working from home, I, I found the same, you know, working by myself. I much prefer being in the office environment. Um, you might be able to see, you know, and also that competitive side of things. You can see with a little uh, like scoreboard up on the wall there. Yep. So when we have a new fat join us, um, we get a we get a shoot a little paper ball at the bin. You, you're, you're leading? The, the, I've... I'm leading, yeah, yeah but I've also we've, we've put a little mist box at the bottom and I've missed a lot, <laughs> which I hate because I'm, I'm very competitive too yeah. on sport yeah. and the guy who works with me here, we play football together as well. So Brilliant. We're like we're very much in that same. Yeah, you've got to have something outside of work that keeps you going, right? Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, hopefully in amongst this chat there's little tidbits that, you know, people are going to pull out and go, okay, I need to look to do that. Um and I bet there's some some folks that are tuning in that are doing 60 hours a week at the moment. Well, I think you've got to stop and take stock. And if you're doing that without a without a support person, that's got to be the, the next step. It's almost the catalyst, isn't oh, it? It has to be. There's your 20 hours. Well, well, I think that you know if you if you if you're smashing out 60 hours a week and you look at your volume, 
and you're, you're doing, I don't know, three, four mil a month or whatever it might be, there's got to be some room in those in that income to pay out something to somebody else, right? And it's just having that leap of faith to do it. Um, I think one of the biggest decisions you've got to make is what sort of support person you want first. And, How do you um, decide that? Depends on what your skill set is. Um, I, I think I think the first addition to any team is not a not a loan writer, but an admin person. I think with the workflows that we have, uh, the complexities of workflows, the CRM compliance requirements, if you can have someone tidying that stuff up for you, um, maybe even leading through to you know managing your refix processes and things like that, that that's you're more likely to find that sort of person without having to pay 80, 90K for them for kickoff, right? If you want an experienced loan writer who's got top-line credit skills that's worked for another advisor before, um, that's going to cost you quite a bit. Um, but if you can bring an admin person in who's just got – you can, they don't have to overly have high level of industry experience. They just need to be a good organiser. Um, that takes enough off your plate that if – all you've got to do is write up the diary note and do the servicing calc. Then that, that's that's the goal. Yeah, that's got to be the first step for me. And then, and then sometimes that person, you know, who's got those admin skills, as they start to sit in your business for a while, um, be exposed to what you do and how you do. Well, all of a sudden they start to get the ability to actually probably put together a deal. Mm, yeah, um, by osmosis. Yeah, through time, hundred percent, absolutely. Right. And I think that mean, means that, you know, if you. Because finding a loan writer is not easy, I don't think. It's a highly skilled um, person that you've got to try and persuade to leave a bank probably. And we, we know the banks pay pretty good money. So I think you've probably got to approach it in a, in a different way and go admin first, loan writer next. But sometimes that can be one and the same person because they're with you long enough, they learn how to do it, and then you, all of a sudden you're just looking to try and find another admin person. And then become an advisor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the journey. You know, yeah. if you find the right people and they stay with you and you work well together, then that's how you grow a team um, um, because you allow them the opportunity to grow and learn within your business rather than having to constantly reach outside of your business to find these people in, in, a, in a labor market that's pretty tight. That must be so challenging. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, it's not a problem I've had too many times because we just don't have much turnover. Um, so I'm very grateful for that, I tell you. Okay. Yeah. And how do you, how do you train them up when they join? Is it you coaching? Do you have somebody senior in the team running through it? Because that, that can be quite tough. Yeah, look, I, I think, um, and this, again, probably might not be the best way to do it. We don't have much formal training. You know, I think people learn by doing, so we just make sure that they do. You know, I think if you um, if you sat someone down and, you know, went lender by lender, calculator by calculator, policy by policy, well, that would be a pretty boring induction, right? You wouldn't take any of them. You'd take in the first <laughs> five minutes and yeah. then... Then it would start washing over. Yeah. And I think... So I, I, I've always believed people learn by doing, right? And you can only take so much of it on board at any one given time. So it, it it's about... Getting, you know, getting a lead opportunity and looking at the client circumstances going, okay, we know this, one, this one's going to go to ANZ, right? So let's let's look at why. Why are we sending it here? What's the difference in policy between these operators that means we've got to send it in this direction? And then you start, you know, putting the deal together. And the person, I think for me, it's about learning in a, almost a circumstantial way. And, and you, you get them to build up a almost a scenario database, that given this set of circumstances and this set of numbers and this 
sort of way this income's coming in and this sort of security, they start to understand immediately down the track that it's always going to go down that pathway. So it's it's about learning um, from a client perspective, a scenario perspective. Given these set of circumstances, nine times out of ten, this is the best solution. Um, and that's that's how we probably have done it. And those staff, they probably learn a lot quicker because if they're coming into your business, doing considerable volume yeah. because of the amount of advice yeah. you've got. Yeah. I feel like they'd learn so much quicker than just doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and like uh, yeah, definitely. Look, I've got a, a, you know, a fledgling advisor you know, in, in the team down in Nelson who's who's come on board in almost a bit of a hybrid role. So she contracts as a loan writer to, to me for 20 hours a week and the other 20 hours a week she's doing her own stuff as well as being a mum to a couple of young kids, okay? So being a contractor, the, those hours are flexible, um, but she's learning at twice the speed because outside of, you know, starting to write her own deals, she's writing deals for me. And, and generally speaking, I don't do the easy stuff. A lot of my stuff can be complex. <laughs> All right. So um, you, you're only going to learn... Um, relative to the amount of opportunity and scenario and clients that you, you have. And if you're, if you're operating on your own and you're just starting out, well, they're few and far between. So you don't get to be as good as you could be in the same amount of time. So um, that's working really, really well. I can, and I can, you know, I can tell already that this person's learning curve is, is, is really steep. She's going well, real well. And then those experiences then she can then drag across to her own clients because She's seen it before. She's picked it up. Yeah, yeah. It's such a good environment to learn in. Yeah, it work, works really well. And it, and it just, you know, over time we'll just, all we'll do is, you know, she'll keep on increasing her own hours and decreasing mine and then I'll go and find somebody else uh, and do the same thing. So that, that's actually a really good way of, um, I think, entering industry. And also for businesses, again, it's also, you know, a good way to get a, create a win-win. You know, you get the opportunity to bring a new advisor in but you're not, you're not totally leaving them to their own devices. Um, you're underpinning them with some baseline income, uh, which I think everyone needs to some degree. Especially when you're starting out, it can be quite useful. And more importantly, you're accelerating their timeline to becoming an advisor in their own right. Um, and that that's something, that's an option I think that can work really well. So do you think the salary model for an advisor versus the commission split model when they come into a business, how do you weigh those up? Well, I think from a business owner's perspective, um, all you're doing is plugging an overhead into your business that may or may not break even. You know, I think that I've never done it. Um, I, and I, I think it probably limits your, your opportunity because if, you, if you're going to market um, looking for advisors and if you've got a commission-only offering, uh, it's a pretty big leap of faith for somebody to leave a job. Um, because again, everyone's got their own basic needs that need to be you taken care of. Threshold we talked about. Yeah, and so then it's all about timing, right? So for me, the timing when I first started was really good because I was one of two people um, financially contributing to a household, and if I didn't earn anything for six months, it didn't matter. So I could I could make that leap of faith. So it's got to be what's right for the business first. And foremost, I think sometimes, you know, we, we start to, the tail can wag the dog a little bit and you can try and do things for your business in terms of going, okay, I'm going to try and put a salary plus commission model together. Well, it's not right for the business. If it's not right for the business, don't do it. Uh, you've obviously got to have 
strong cash flows elsewhere to, to sort of take someone else on board on that basis. I've always preferred the commission-only model because I think for the right people at the right time is what works best. And like you said, if you bring somebody into a loan rider or a, a support role initially, yep. you can almost you know, half-half hybrid and support them that way. Yeah, and that's what works for me because I've got cash flow flexibility, which means I can plug an overhead in um, without almost necessarily needing it. Uh, I can bring someone into my you know loan writing team and give them enough work to get the learning experience moving, but always on the basis that after about 12 months they're out um, because they've made it on their own. So that can work pretty well. So what is, I mean, apart from doing, spending more time playing bowls, like mm. what do you see next for the business? I know your son Jack's involved now. Yeah, so, you know, he um, he left school and picked up a, a role eventually at, at TSB. Um, did a good couple of years there and... Um, and again, you know, I didn't really want to come into the business uh, for a while. Uh, it's I, the technique I, that the uh, BNZ person used on you. Yeah, li- yeah a little bit. Yeah, actually, <laughs> you don't want this. Yeah, no, you don't want this. Was, look, I, I think a little bit was on the basis that I, I, I believe he's a good operator. And um, I wasn't sure that coming into my business too early was the right thing because I, I didn't think he knew or how far he could go at TSB. Because it's a big organisation, you go a long way. Um, so, and I think in a small business, um, I, I felt that perhaps it would have um, set a bit of a, a lower ceiling for him, you know. Um, but as what can happen in those organisations, there were some sort of changes in management just above him, and all of a sudden, a few things were starting to get roadblocked. So the time was right for him to sort of come out of that environment. So he worked for me on a, on a salary basis as a as a loan writer for a wee while, and now he's he's operating you know in his own right as an advisor, um, and whatever success he have he has, I've got nothing to do with, which is cool, um, and it, it does give you um, as a business owner a, a pathway to consider as to okay how do I get myself out of this, and and that's got to be an important consideration for everybody it's is that you know if you've got some sort of design around um retiring or or getting something out of 20 years worth of being in industry then you've got to start planning what that looks like now um and you know go back to some simple things if i mean i think if you're not building a trail book um then you're daft right that constantly amazes me when I start to see where some of the industry volume is written, that one provider in particular seems to, you know, get that's more than its fair share of of the market, but we know they don't pay trail, they're just an upfront provider. Um, and I think the biggest thing around that is not so much, and then assume a level playing field, right? The client circumstances mean that you can place the deal anywhere. Um, I can't see why you would place a client with a provider that when that fixed rate comes up for renewal, you're going to get paid 150 bucks for all that you've got to do. Um, that it makes sense to me uh, to place them with a provider that's going to pay you a fee for service that is 
relevant to the amount of work that you will do for that client on an annual, biannual basis or an ongoing basis for the life of that loan. It just makes sense to me that you do that. I do wonder with the the additional work required with new legislation, um, if that model will change. Well, I think I think it should. I think if banks are going to actually uh, remunerate, uh, and we can we know that remuneration hasn't overly changed, but it's grown organically because of the increase in loan size, right? So, you know, I, I was looking through some old financials from quite a many moons ago and I'm thinking, geez, a few, <laughs> a few things have changed. Yeah. Um, and and it's purely because, you know, the, the volume has increased Property naturally. Yeah. Increased, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one, you've been paid 150 bucks for a refix for as long as I can remember. Um, and But the work that goes into making that happen is, is 10 times greater than it used to be and quite often can involve um, actually paying an employee uh, you know, so that, that 150 bucks probably actually loses your money um, if you start looking at it in the cold light of day, and if you're doing the job properly. So I think I think for lenders that's a that's something to to really consider. But um, and particularly, you know, I can think of one lender doesn't even pay you that, right? Yeah, right. So, which is just crazy. So I I think you know in the last probably in the last five years I've probably put a fair bit of attention on you know growing the book. Because in the end, particularly if you're working on your own, that is the only asset you've got. That is the only asset that you've got. So putting some attention on making that as, as valuable as you can is, is really, really important um, because it's the only thing you can sell. Well, you're probably a bit more fortunate than others. You've got a brand which is substantially more well-known than others. Like I'd say a lot of the time advisors, the brand is them. Yeah, and, and and that that I think's you know part of the risk of the you know the, the business model that person's undertaken, um, because that's that's it. They, if they if they leave that, that's it. That's it. The only, the only asset they've got is the book. So, you know, I think and for some, for some folk that's okay. But I, I think if you've got um, if you're if you're younger, if you've got ambition to 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 really take this industry seriously you, you want to be looking for some growth you want to be looking to try and grow team and you want to have um, pathways of income for that business that don't involve you um, it just makes sense that they're things that you, you start to look at um, because otherwise basically you just you've just got a job are there other types of revenue that you try and bring into the business outside of leaning and refixes yeah I mean we've 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 got some we have risk insurance fire in general um, I think like you know, many businesses out there, they're an important part of the mix. Um, if I reflect over you know, time, it's probably part of the business that we haven't done as well as mortgages. Um, and that's purely because that's not where my expertise lies. It's uh, the name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we have the insurance supply co made and, mm. you know, that, that's probably in the last couple of years um, has had the, the attention that it deserved and should have got a bit earlier. Um, and I think, you know, when we, when if I sort of cast my sort of eyes forward 10 years, I think that it will play catch up and, and we'll, we'll be a bit more rounded a proposition than it is today, but it's going in the right direction. Right. Um, and, and I think also that, you, you know, you start thinking, okay, when am I going to hang? I don't think I hang my boots up for a long time, but I'll just do different things. I'll do less of it. Um, 
because I think there's people in the business, um, you know, some senior advisors, some of my senior staff who've been there a long time, Jackie, throw him in the mixer as well. There's, there's some really good people that could pick up and run with this thing if I'm not around. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. It's exciting. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever sell it, mate. You know, I think, mm. you know, that's, you know, that's where, um, you know, for me it's about being creating something that, you know, can keep on paying me. You know, if, as long as I've as long as I've still got my advisor ticket, right, and as long as I've still got relevance to the team, and I think that's why I still am on the tools because quite a lot of the support you give advisors in the business is around a deal. You know, something's stuck, can't get this across the line, this client circumstances or whatever, and if you're not on the tools, you can lose relevance to giving that person you don't that know the solution. To it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. There's no point talking to me. I've, yeah. I've done deal all year. But it, I'm on the tool still so I can still provide those answers. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that, that trail book becomes absolutely critical because if you don't have your ticket, you don't get the trail, right? So I can be 65, 70, 75 and still be earning great coin because of what my trail revenue is. It's so important. Reflecting on, you know, saying, you, you know, insurance is something you wish you'd done better earlier now you're at a good state are there are there any other little things you wish you'd maybe worked better on in hindsight of course that maybe would be relevant for a business today yeah look i i think you know you go on a journey of this nature you're never going to get it right all of the time right and probably um there's been occasions where i've i've done things with other people that probably shouldn't have done um you know in terms of partnerships and things like that right um they don't always work out for whatever reason it's not always about the people either it can be about me and then sometimes it just doesn't quite work um and i i think that if i was to sort of reflect on that and have some hindsight on some things um i I think firstly if you're going to do anything with other people then just make sure that you know you're really clear around the decision making have some good you know, good arrangements in play um, and, and, and sort of think twice before you even think about doing it. Um, but on the flip side, if you don't enter into some of those arrangements, you miss out because you can't do everything. And, you know, a big part of where we're at today is, to be fair, probably the relationship that Dave Hart and I have, you know, that, that you know, we work really, really well together um, because the mortgage supply company isn't just about me. You know, Hardy's been in it for for some time now and runs a really good team down in Tauranga, but he and I run head office, if you like, together. Um, and, and that's a synergy that works really, really well. Um, so just pick your, pick your partners wisely, I think, is, is probably something that uh, I'd, I'd certainly throw out there. That's almost the same for your, your business and staff. I feel like just get the right people and yeah. can't go too far wrong. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Look, and I think collaboration is really important to consider. You know, if, if – because I, I, I really do believe that you can do so much more together. And I think as an industry, you know, we've got, um, we've almost got a, quite a bit of fragmentation going on that I've, I've always believed that if, if people put aside their personal expectation of brand, for example, right, and if you could wave a magic wand and brand up everybody under one dealer group, under one badge overnight, that we'd we'd certainly take on the rest of the market share that's up for grabs. For sure. There because, is a lot of market share out there. 
Well, yeah, there is. I mean, we, we're obviously, you know, advisors now are, you know, doing, let's say, 50, 60% of volume. That's a hell of a lot of people who are going direct. But if, if you, I mean, and it's, it's just never going to happen. But if you imagine, you know, a thousand mortgage advisors all wearing the same badge overnight, um, what that would do in terms of reach through to the consumer, um, you know, it's not many times that you hear um, mortgage broking firms on the radio or on, on the TV. Um, you know, but you could do that. You could do that overnight um, and reach through to the consumer because I believe that what the service that we offer is fantastic, you know, um, and, and more people need to use it. But we, we're just a little fragmented, I think. For sure. Uh, I feel like there's more of a community that I've noticed even in my three years being in the industry than there was when I first started. Yeah, look, I think that, you know, most most advisors know that, they're not competing against other advisors, that there's enough to go around. And you don't have to worry about, you know, the mortgage broker up the road and things like that. You've just got to look after your own stuff and your own nest and your own clients and that there's no, there's not a threat. You're not a threat. You know, the person up the road is not a threat. They're a, they're a colleague. They just happen to be wearing a different badge, right? Um, so I think, I think for the most part it is great that, you know, people play pretty nice. It's very rare that it, it doesn't happen. Um, so there is some mutual respect, I think, and that's a good thing. So how could we get a thousand advisors together? I don't know, mate. I don't know. This was me wishful thinking, yeah. mate. <laughs> but I just think that what a proposition that would be to the community, to the to the consumer. You know, I think that um, a lot of the the group offerings are, you know, almost encourage the one man band, right? Um, and and I, I'm just, I, I know that there are many um, solo operators out there who are amazing at what they do. I just think it's a better proposition if we if we've got businesses um, that 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 coagulate and join and join forces. Even if you even if brokers like I'm just thinking you know off the cuff a little bit you know you have half a dozen people who ordinarily work from home decide okay let's let's do some shared offices, almost like a cooperative. Yeah, I've invited a lot of advisors. I said if you're on your own, you want to come work in the yeah. space, come work in our office. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, the best days at our office is when you know, half a dozen of the guys are in there and they're all on the phone talking to assessors, talking to clients, workshopping deals. Buzzing. It, it's a, it is, and it's so much better for everybody when that's going on um, because people are learning quicker, especially like if you think of you know, these days with the different you know, with rates. And, and so we've had some weeks where you just do not know what, what is a good rate offer. Well, you know, kind of in, within our team, we know pretty darn quick because we're bouncing it off each other all the time. Um, so I think, you know, that collaboration piece is something I'd really encourage people to think about. You know, if, you, if you're working on your own and you know three or four people, you know, in your area or in your group that are good and you could work with them, you don't necessarily, although I'm going against what I said about badging up together, yeah. right? You don't have to operate under the same brand. You just have to, you know, share some space and collaborate. You, everyone will be better for it. Everyone will become a better operator. Big ocean. It. Yeah. I think I've used this analogy before on the podcast, but it was one where, uh, like, uh, you know, like the Turkish rug sale. <laughs> it's like, oh, you go to a market and there's like one rug salesperson. They don't do a good job because, you know, there's only one there. But if you combine and have loads of them there together, then it becomes a destination. People want to look out for yeah. it and seek that. Yeah, look, I think it's certainly um, as a business model one that you could you could have a look at um, and without necessarily compromising what you've already got. 
With, with a look, see. Yeah, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. But yeah, I mean, I think I think back and go, you know, you asked me that question earlier around sort of hindsight, anything you'd have done differently. I, I struggle to actually think of it um, because I think, you know, whilst you, you you may not always get things right, you know, when you make a mistake, as long as you learn from it, you're better for it. So my journey is one, is just is what it is. And I think that sometimes you don't realise um, that, those previous experiences, what they bring will add value to you. Um, you know, I go back to, again, you know, having a, a fair sport and coaching background. Well, it wasn't until I had an opportunity to um, – and it was probably the thing that really lifted me quite quickly was an opportunity to start speaking at events. Um, early on in the piece, um, there was a property investment group that churned through a few mortgage brokers quite quickly – because they couldn't deliver, um, that, and they did events. So I was going out for called Property Tutors, um, which was run by a guy called Sean Wood, who, who sadly passed a few years back. Um, and they had an event twice a year, and it'd be five hundred people. And I got the opportunity to speak at that event. So I'd never been able to do it if I wasn't confident in dealing with groups of people, which I'd got from my previous background because you're, as the coach, you're in front of the team or if you're taking a, goes, we'd go to primary schools and teach teachers how to coach cricket or we'd take, you know, take mums and dads on coaching courses. So I was quite confident speaking in front of people. And what are your, what are your tips for public speaking apart from imagine everybody naked? Well, yeah, I'm not sure about that. You've got to pick the right person to imagine, <laughs> I think. Um, but... Uh, Oh, look, I think, I think you know, the, that public speaking thing, you know, is, is, was all about you know, making sure that you're, you're prepared. You know, I, I managed to find a way of speaking to a room of 500 people that didn't exclude everybody, anybody in the room. So a lot of the methodology was around, you know, encouraging people to, con- to contemplate that, that they had the ability to do something, that it was, but it was going to be different for different people. Um, and that it was... It was sort of laying out what the solutions looked like. I think if you're going to speak on mortgages, um, that you just obviously first and foremost you've got to know your stuff. Uh, I was speaking to investors, so it was very investor-driven content, um, and it was just about putting yourself up there as, as going, okay, these this is these are where the solutions lie, and I'm the person that can deliver them to you, um, and encouraging the engagement piece. Let's have a look. You don't know you don't know until you ask. Um, and just encouraging people to engage so that the very least that you could do, and they're saying, and it's probably, I think, our bottom line promise, the least that we can do is let people know where they stand. And that's got to be a good thing. Half the people we're engaging with don't know if they can or can't do something. And and a, and a big part of what we do is, is, is let them understand what they can do. And if they can't do it now, is get them to understand, you know, what it's going to take for them to be able to do it in the future. Give them a journey to follow. So... Um, yeah, it's something I've really enjoyed over the years and was never sort of daunted by it at all. Um, but it was probably the thing that gave me the biggest leg up in terms of starting to write some serious volume was that engagement um, with large groups of people who wanted to borrow money because they wanted to um, invest in property and, and they saw me as the sort of the key to that. Well, yeah, it was good. It was useful. Written a book yet? No, never will. No. It'd be boring. <laughs> It'd be boring. It'd be chapter 10, how to play bowls. No. Um, 
Yeah, look, I, I, it's, I don't know, I don't know. People always say that everyone should have a book in them, but have you got a book in you? I think so. Yeah. Don't know what it's about yet, but I've got one in me. <laughs> you're, you're only a few chapters in, I'm yeah, way from one. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I don't, I don't think I, I don't know. I've, I actually have thought from time to time around, you know, what would it look like to sort of dump some of this stuff into, let's say, a book um, that lays out or helps, I, but I just don't see if, I'm, 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 I'm probably stumbling for a few words here. I don't know if anyone would read it, right? That's that's kind of how I look. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It was, it was, I'll see it in the bargain bin for five bucks after a couple of months. You know, it'll break my heart. <laughs> I think if it comes back to those initial principles that you mentioned earlier, if it's giving value. Yeah. Look, I, I think I think what we do is pretty simple, right? I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of rocket science in it. I think when you wake up in the morning and crack on with your day, it's just about doing the right thing for people um, and, and, and doing it with some sort of expertise. I think that the more you do, the better you get. I think that the more experiences, you know, for the, and this is maybe reaching out to newer brokers who, who might be tuning in, is that the more you do, the better you get, right? So... If you, if you take that on board, then what you've got to try and find a way of doing is to give yourself more experiences quicker. The more deals you do, the better you get. So, and that's where I, I go back again to that collaboration piece. You know, if you had six new advisors working in a shared space together, they, they would just all grow so much quicker than if they each worked from home. It's like everything, you know. If, <sighs> if you surround yourself with people who are successful yeah. or wanting to be successful yeah. in your friends group around my age yep. I feel like everybody wants to buy a home so everyone's yeah. getting into their own property yeah. start wanting to get married that type of thing everybody wants to stay together and yeah. you know be left behind so yeah, yeah, you can you see so business yeah, you, you just grow together I think that's certainly something I'd really encourage people to think about doing um, that on an ongoing basis you know I think over the years all I've done is kept it pretty simple and, and just worked pretty hard and um just tried to continually always do the right thing for the person that was I was dealing with. And, and it is about being client-centric. I think sometimes we don't listen to the telltale indicators from a client as to what they really want. You know, that sometimes is that kind of client conversation, okay, that's the solution, let's crack on and put the solution in play, but there's more to drag out of the client, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that – and I think I'd go back to sort of maybe – dealing with athletes, um, you know, elite athletes in, in the past. And it was it was the co my coaching style and good coaching is about drawing the best out of that athlete without necessarily telling them what to do or instructing them. It's about letting them get to feel it and see it themselves and, and, and they come up with their own answers. So when I'm – I ask a lot of questions when I'm dealing with my client, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people out there do too is that, you know, for, especially when it comes around to loan structure time, right? They, they, you know, have, you, have you thought about it yourself yet? Well, no, well, why not? This is your loan, it's not my loan, it's your loan. So what, do you, what are the important things here? And, and trying to drag them to a solution rather than providing it on a plate. This is what I think you should do. Um, and I think that's a far better way to lead a client through to a solution about what they need is for it basically to come from them. And also when rates 
inevitably go up. They don't come back to you going, what the that, hell? <laughs> that also helps too, mate. <laughs> that also um, helps. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, but you ought to say something. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just about staying, mm. staying client-centric, mate. I think, you know, it's really important we do, I reckon. I think some, too many times, particularly once you start getting good at it, you just go, oh, here, you know the situation, this is what I think you should do. What do you think? Client, client goes, yes, and off you go. Well, don't give them a chance to actually say no or debate what the options are. And I think that that's, that's just a really important part of what we do is, just, is, is leading and educating the client through to good financial understanding of, what, of their situation. Um, and it, it's, it's quite empowering. As empower your clients, really important. Love that. David, you're a man of a lot of wealth and experience, so um, I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. No, it's been a pleasure, mate. Hopefully some people have got a little out of that. I think there's definitely a lot on there for okay. people, cool. and um, it was a pleasure having you as a guest, so thanks, thanks so mate. much for your time. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate Cheers. it. Thank you, mate.